Hey, Retention Pros. I'm Noah Rahim Zadeh and I lead partnerships here at Malomo. I'm super pumped to continue to chat with ecosystem experts alongside Mariah, who you all already know and love. Say hi, Mariah. Hey, everyone. As you probably know, Retention Chronicles likes to bring in some of the best retention-focused brands in the Shopify ecosystem. But we don't just feature brands. We also feature some great thought leaders in the Shopify ecosystem that serve brands. And because we always want these conversations to be fun, you'll hear us talk with our guests about what they're excited about and what's helped them get to where they are today. We hope you'll stick around to learn and laugh with us. Retention Chronicles is sponsored by Malomo, a shipment and order tracking platform improving the post-purchase experience. Be sure to subscribe and check out all of our episodes at gomalomo.com. All right, cool. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Retention Chronicles. Super excited for today's episode. I think it's the first time I'm recording post Black Friday, Cyber Monday. So really excited to have a top e-commerce agency, Applo, joining us today and the the co-founders from that group, uh, Jacob, Dylan, and Liam. Thanks so much for being here, fellas. Um, With that, I'll I'll pass it over to you guys for uh, quick intros and we always like to start with with some good personal news. So one or two things that you're excited about in your personal lives along with the intro would be awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah, no, thanks, Noah, for having, having us on. Um, so yeah, one of the co-founders of Apple, my name is Liam. Personal, personal life, um, we're based in Canada, so it's getting cold. It's getting snowy soon. So I'm looking forward to the, the winter weather and getting, getting on a ski hill and skating and that sort of thing. So that's kind of the most exciting thing at the moment from a personal standpoint. Um, but yeah, just a quick intro there. Yep. Um, Noah Mariah, thanks again for uh, for having us on. So Jacob, one of the co-founders as well, oversee mostly the email SMS side of things at Apple Group. And uh, just with the holidays coming up, I think it's going to be nice to see some family, uh, go back and you know visit my family and friends in Ottawa. So looking forward to that. Yeah. And I'm Dylan, one of the co-founders at Apple Group as well, oversee our paid ads and growth team as a whole here at Apple. And I'm actually looking forward to the complete opposite of Liam. I'm looking forward to a ski winter as it comes, going to uh, Barbados in a few in a few weeks. So that's uh, that's a little personal highlight on my end. That sounds incredible, uh, Dylan. Before you joined, I was I was telling Liam and and uh, Dylan that we uh, or sorry Jacob that we. I've said for like four straight years that I'm never going to do another Midwestern winter. And here I am, year five, bracing for the cold again. Got to embrace it. Got to embrace <laughs> the cold. Probably, it's probably not as cold as Canada, though. So that, that, there is worse. Worse does exist. That's 100% true. And I know that because the first time I ever went to Toronto was like February, first week of February. And it was... <laughs> It was quite the shock, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was way, I was not prepared. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, Liam, I, I love skiing too. We always do a, a Breckenridge trip to Colorado with there a big group of people every winter. And uh, it's always a, a highlight of the year. Um, Dylan, have you, have you been to Barbados before? I have been to Barbados before, so I know I'm going to love it. You turn <laughs> trip. Yeah, that's awesome. I have not. Yeah. That sounds like a great place to escape the cold. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is southern enough so that it it, it does it does the job well. Love it. Um, cool. Well, with that, we'll uh, we'll hop in. Love the personal insights. Um, since we have the three co-founders, I think it's only fitting to talk a little bit about uh, the background of Aplo, the founding story. Mm-hmm. Um, and dive into sort of what the what the agency looks like today as well. Yeah. So in terms of kind of the background of it, so we, uh, all three of us originally started contracting um, for, a, for an e-com on the email and SMS side. Um, so one of our, actually our first clients of Apple, we started contracting for him um, in late 2018, I believe. And essentially over throughout the process of kind of getting into the weeds of working with him hearing obviously other pitches from agencies and kind of understanding how they operate. One thing um, that we kind of realized was kind of underserved, so to speak, in the agency world. Um, many agencies in the e-commerce space focus obviously on, you know, single channel metrics and in-platform performance, whether it's on the ad side or email and SMS side specifically. Um, but oftentimes what's overlooked is obviously the impact that, you know, those, those channels have on the business as a whole. Um, and oftentimes there's so much focus on single channel performance and single channel metrics to the detriment of obviously understanding how that impacts 
the actual business outcomes that the business is shooting for. Um, so one of kind of the uh, founding focuses, so to speak, or founding principles that, that we kind of focus on as, as an agency in the e-commerce space um, is not only obviously improving in-platform metrics and channel-specific metrics, but more so than that is focusing on the business outcomes that the client we're working with is trying to achieve. Um, so sometimes, obviously, that, that's usually a mix of top-line growth or bottom-line growth um, to a certain degree. And obviously, our focus is, is helping them achieve those outcomes by obviously implementing a, a cohesive strategy across the board. Um, so right now, um, our core focuses are acquisition and retention. So everything on the paid ad side, all, all major social platforms, as well as search platforms, as well as email and SMS on the uh, the retention side. So from a high level standpoint, that's kind of um, a little bit of the founding story. Obviously, as we are contracting for uh, for for our first client, Legend Bracelet, there that I mentioned, um, that's kind of when we came to this realization about that that kind of gap and that area being underserved in the agency world. Um, so that's kind of where we decided. Okay, there's obviously kind of room to to kind of focus on that as as a core principle of how we service, and that's kind of how we started developing our our service serviceability alongside that. So. Um, yeah, from a high level standpoint, that's kind of the background and, and what we focus on more so. Um, we're a team of 27 at the moment. Most of us are based in, in Canada. Um, and again, like I mentioned, those are the acquisition retention side are, are kind of our core focuses at the uh, at the moment. But we have some um, some services slotted to, to be released next year that we're going to branch off into as well. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I think of all the agencies we've had on, we haven't had anybody sort of talk about how those two core aspects of the business acquisition and retention and and the different channels that you're sort of leveraging to see results in those different initiatives um, factor into the larger business goals. So I'm curious yeah. if you have like an example of how like how could somebody take that into practice or think about um, how to how to sort of level up from you know, just thinking about those individual metrics to yeah. apply them to the broader business goals. Cause that sounds yeah. like it's sort of Apple's differentiator. Yeah. One thing like Dylan can also dive into this in more detail too, as he oversees more of the growth team. But one thing um, that often is overlooked, like many times clients will, will basically say, if you're hitting this row as an acquisition or this, um, these metrics on acquisition, just scale to the moon, spend as much as you want on, on ads and just continue growing. When in reality, oftentimes that breaks the minimum net margin requirement for the business to actually reinvest in inventory and continue scaling healthily. Um, so that kind of model breaks over time. So there's oftentimes where there's kind of a gap even on the actual business operators end about what's being done on the acquisition side, how that relates to obviously scaling down the line in a sustainable way. Um, and obviously that ties into retention as well, but, but Dylan can probably dive into, into some more specifics there because um, it's something he deals a, a lot with on the, on the growth side. Yeah. So like a super obvious example might be like, we, we, we see, we have clients asked to test this all the time and the test basically has never not reached the same outcome. So like, for example, let's say you have a pop-up on a website and you're collecting emails and texts in theory, if you remove the pop-up, does the conversion rate on the site increase sometimes by a little bit, if you remove it, it depends if you have an offer, how you're presenting the offer in equally in both situations. But let's say you're optimizing for that. Like, let's call it, let's, I know it's conversion rate on website. So that's like a, a partially an ad KPI normally. And also it's a conversion rate optimization KPI if you're actually trying to optimize your website for convertibility. Now, let's say you optimize that single metric. But in reality, let's say that impact is you've lost 80% of your, of your inbound email list growth. Well, sure. you just optimize that KPI, but the, the side effect is that now your email list is growing exponentially slower. Um, and therefore is going to hurt future revenues. So it's kind of understanding that you have to have a full funnel approach and understanding, okay, what levers do I actually want to pull and which leverage should I pull to be able to drive those business outcomes I'm actually hoping to achieve instead of having everything be compartmentalized. Um, and that's generally, like, whether you work with Apple Group or work with somebody else, we generally recommend working with agencies that can control both acquisition and retention because there's only two ways to make more money as a business, either acquire customers for cheaper or make them worth more to you over the long, over the long run. And at different points in your journey as an e-commerce business owner, there will be times where the acquisition side is easier to, to improve. And then there will be time when the LTV side will be easier to improve. And if you have different uh, groups or teams or whatever, trying to fight over what, what the focus should be, that just creates a giant conflict of interest in our opinion. So that's, that's just one small example of, an, of, an, of probably the most common one we see. Um, but uh, yeah. 
Yeah, and one kind of less obvious takeaway too is depending on what your like buying duration time is from first touch point to basically when the actual conversion takes place. If you have a product that requires quite a bit of education, it also becomes a game of kind of lead generation in some sense, where again, your KPI is not necessarily leads per se or cost per lead, but at the end of the day, you have a welcome series that you need to warm that audience with and those customers that you're you know, acquiring. So a lot of the times you're getting that extra lift from the email channels at a higher profit um, or better efficiency, you could put it that way. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll add just one thing to kind of tie it up too. Like um, our job as an agency in this space and the way that we operate is, is, is kind of showcasing this and explaining it to the clients we work with and why there's so much um, dependence on each, like paid ads that depend on email, emails dependent on paid ads. So it's sort of like part of our focus is, is mapping that out and explaining it because we know a lot of people that are obviously bringing on agencies, um, their core competency might not be these channels and they might not understand exactly how they're related. Um, and that's exactly why we focus on, on again, going back to what I said at the beginning, um, implementing a holistic approach and obviously shooting for business outcomes and explaining how all of these channels interact with each other and relate to each other when you're going about the scaling process. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, Dylan, I really love that. Uh, that really easy to understand example. And then <laughs> I was, the, the first question that came to my mind is like, when would you think about, um, like, are there any types of businesses that uh, lend themselves more toward always have the pop-up, for example. And, and Jacob sort of gave a, an example of that, right? Where if they're, if the product requires more education, um, then sort of nurturing is more important than, you know, first stop purchase. Um, and so that, that's really, really fascinating. Um, I'm curious. So, so one thing that sort of sticks out to me is, it seems like in a way, like at the highest level, there's a lack of transparency uh, when agencies report results in a way, because if you're only showing like list growth and that was the goal, but you don't show like this also had this major hit on um, on conversion rate or vice versa, then at the end of the day, you're really sort of just like telling a story that's... Um, you know, well-suited to shine you as the agency in the best light. Mm-hmm. Whereas by focusing on both acquisition yeah. and retention, you're always sort of showing like the trade-offs that are made when you focus on one area versus another. Um, that's sort of my stance or my understanding of all this. Would you agree? What would you, what would you change about that? I would say um, attribution is definitely important. So understanding attribution, understanding basically which channels are driving what, but more so understanding that there will be overlap between channels and looking at basically the business as a whole, rather than trying to, you know, aim at isolated kind of KPIs within specific channels. Um, And then again, having a system where you can actually measure out that lifetime value and understand your different customer cohorts um, in context. So I'm sure Dylan can kind of offer more on the CAC side, but that's kind of how we would approach it. It's, it gets, it gets, so you can overcomplicate these things so fast, like, even as simple as like, is Google reported ROAS and Facebook reported ROAS the same? No, all of these channels have different attribution models and you can toggle them differently and some are even less accurate or more accurate. And then if you wanna start getting you know fancy and start using UTMs or third, other third-party tracking tools to try and democratize, so to speak, the attribution across all these platforms to make the attribution models all the same, in doing that, you lose something. Like I'll give another example. So Facebook ROAS, if you want to, if you want to look at return on ad spend in a way where you're actually trying to draw very, um, very direct correlations with actual business outcomes, i.e. revenue, your click-based return on ad spend metrics. So click-based attribution is always going to be more accurate than view-based attribution. View-based attribution often inflates, and that's why people think they're remarketing or think their retention marketing on ads is better than it actually is. But in reality, it's other things, be it email, be it other sales channels that are actually driving the sales and you're just picking up view through data. So that, that's why when you're working with an agency or whether you're working with an in-house uh, employee, no matter no matter who your, uh, your, your team is driving these channels, you wanna make sure you're setting KPIs firstly at a business level. So that's normally like marketing efficiency ratio or full funnel ROAS or new customer ROAS some of these like very simple business metrics, like what percentage of revenue is ad spend? What percentage of new customer revenue is ad spend? And then that's how you're going to decide most of the time in most business scenarios, 
how, how you're going to spend, where you're going to spend. And then the in-platform reporting is solely used for where or how I'm going to distribute my budget amongst these platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, and unfortunately, every single business tends to be a little bit different. Like for, like for instance, if you're a company that has a, a rather large purchasing window, you're often going to pick up a lot more view attribution inside of your Facebook or TikTok ad account as an example. Whereas if you're a product that tends to buy on first page load, you might actually be able to utilize and leverage and believe what Facebook is telling you a little bit more. So it's it's case yeah. by case, but totally agree in that it has to be set at like a business level KPI. Yeah. And and one thing to know, like to your point about um, kind of like agencies reporting on a certain channel and not obviously having cohesion amongst both. Like a good example that we we like to, to give is let's say you're, you have two separate agencies, one on email, one on ads, and you're monitoring the email agency and basically giving them KPIs on a percentage of overall revenue driven from email. Let's just say it's 30%, whatever it may be. And you're spending you know, a, a decent amount of money on ads and all of a sudden you jack spend up tremendously on the, on the acquisition side over you know, X period of time. Over X period of time, eventually email revenue as a percentage of overall revenue is going to diminish because you're driving in so many new customers via ads. And then as, as somebody managing those two agencies, you might look at the email agency and say, hey, you know, what's going on? Why is email revenue down? And if that email agency doesn't understand what's being done on the ad side, they might not actually know. So they might make up, not make up stuff, but they're going to look for ways to kind of answer your question, which might not be entirely true. And the simple reason is because you obviously started spending exponentially more on ads and obviously vice versa if you drop spend. So everything's correlated to a certain degree and everything needs to be looked at in that way. Um, because no channel is completely agnostic of the other channel. Um, and in that example, obviously that's paid being the primary driver of new acquisition, but obviously same can go for organic if you have a large influx in organic traffic and things like that as well. So, yeah. Yeah. And the, the inverse is true too, right? If you drop spend, for example, yeah. you can look like a genius when, you know, 50% of your revenue comes from email, but at the end of the day, you look month over month and your actual total revenue is dropping, right? Because efficiency might be up, but you're acquiring customers much, much slower or at least new customers. So you're basically then squeezing everything you can from your mm-hmm. retention channels and not growing. So it's efficient. It looks good on paper, but it's not actually growth. Love, love that example again. And I can, I can relate in so many ways, even on the B2B side, like I think for our listeners, mostly merchants, um, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> they totally understand this problem, but even on the B2B side for me, for example, I work with our agency partners, also work with our tech partners, but then there's this other side of of my role where I work really closely with Mariah on the marketing side. And if we don't have sort of like clear swim lanes around how do we attribute, you know, let's say Applo makes a a recommendation that one of your clients looks at Malomo, um, but they come inbound from a forum after a webinar that was completely unrelated. Like there have to be ways to identify the different touch points in which brought that in because at the end of the day, departments get cut if you don't, if you, if you can't identify the impact that you're having, but you all want to work harmoniously together toward this common, much larger business goal, which I think is what uh, Applo and and you three are really, really focused on. You think that that's unique because of the Mm -hmm. full funnel approach. Yeah. And and that point, Noah, is exactly why oftentimes, you know, if you're an agency, for example, and you're solely managing a single channel, whether it's paid acquisition or email and SMS, like oftentimes you can get the finger pointed at you when something goes wrong, when in reality, it's more of a macro issue. It's not actually a, a channel agnostic issue. Um, and then you can get a, end up being cut as an agency when in reality, it wasn't necessarily something that you 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 did. For example, going back to the, the example about increasing spend and decreasing spend and how that relates to email revenue as a percentage of, of overall revenue. So it's, uh, it's, it's funny that way, but yeah. Yeah, and it's also why these conversations are so also important to have within organizations because at the end of the day, like the entire organization structure across the marketing team, the executive team, like need to be pretty intimately familiar with these different KPIs and how these different channels interact. Because if those conversations aren't taking place, then there's confusion. There's like, you know, more conflict than there is actual like collaboration towards a common effort. Um, Because you're looking at these as competing channels rather than one piece of a pie that's working together, right? Um, As Liam said, like the, you know, paid side fuels the retention side, the retention side produces and drives the LTV that makes the actual, you know, paid side worth it. So it's all interconnected. I have a quick question. I love that you brought up, Jacob, like the issues or the potential issues of having um, like different parties involved being um, 
like confrontational or conflicting rather than working together. So if you find like there's certain objectives that a brand can't decipher that they're like, okay, this is our ranked priorities, like top three. Do you guys find yourself in the spot where you're like, okay, this is what we've seen with other use cases and bringing that to the brand to be like, this is what we think you should prioritize, like number one, number two, whatever. Like, do you find that's common? I'd say so. I I don't know if I wouldn't use the word conflict necessarily. Um, It's definitely always positive conversations, but I would say, yeah, there's definitely, there needs to be clarity, I guess, whenever these Mm -hmm. kind of conversations take place. Um, And the KPIs, to first set the KPIs, there has to be an understanding for why we're setting them the way we are. And oftentimes that's a broader discussion with the business owner or the key stakeholders. Um, Dylan, I don't know if there's anything you want to touch on there from like more of a broad standpoint, but that's kind of how we typically approach those. I think it's also, I think, I think if a lot of uh, merchants are honest with themselves, a lot of the time we don't actually know what they're actually trying to achieve. Like are, are, are some people trying to scale to 500K a month in revenue and maximize for profit? Or are you trying to become an enterprise business and go for nine figures in revenue, et cetera, et cetera? Because what you do is very different depending on where you're trying to go. And I think that um, as long as you have a actual end outcome that you're optimizing for, there is usually um, a good amount of obvious decisions that can be made in that process. So I think to answer that, as long as you actually know what you're trying to achieve, then I think it becomes fairly simple, but it always exists to some degree. Like even some of our merchants that are like multi eight figures in revenue a year, um, maybe now they're doing multi eight figures in D to C land and they're entering the wholesale space. How do you start allocating between wholesale and D to C? Well, that gets even more complicated because whoever makes that end decision has to understand both very, very well. So it always exists to some degree, whether it's on DTC specific, like super micro, or it's like I have an order for tens of thousands from a, from a potential wholesaler, uh, tens of thousands of units. And, oh, but if I sell all those, I have way less units on my Shopify store. And therefore my returns are going to drop because there's less getting for people to convert on. Like it gets, it gets, it gets more and more complicated, but long story short, I do believe that as long as you know what you're optimizing for, it is possible to come to a conclusion. Yeah. Super interesting. Thank you. Um, I want to move on to what you guys saw around Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Super Bowl of e-commerce, uh, and what we are expecting for the rest of the year. Uh, but before that, just for, for our listeners who might be interested, um, are there like specific verticals that Applo tends to focus on or, or um, feel that you sort of have carved out a niche or even like um, specific business goals that if a business is thinking about going, uh, you know, Dylan, in, in a couple of your examples from X to Y, um, that you're, that you're typically looking to yeah. a lot of strategic guidance to, or is it just e-commerce? I'd, I'd say like most of, we, we've serviced a lot of clients and do service a lot of clients in the clothing and apparel space, as well as basically what we call replenishable products, um, replenishable products being anything in cosmetics, supplements, um, you know, food and beverage, things that are consumable, whether it's ingestible, topical, consumable, things that you have to come back and buy to continue using. So those are two areas that we've, we've had a lot of experience in and, and do work pretty heavily in. Um, quite a few brands in the pet space as well. So those kind of areas are, are places that we're, we're pretty familiar with. In terms of kind of the, the size of business um, and kind of the, the stage that where they're at, where it makes sense to kind of look at, at working with a team like ourselves, um, obviously we, we kind of have two different ways we service. We have the growth package, which is where we come on and, and do paid acquisition retention, and also kind of that macro level alignment on the, the business outcome standpoint and, and relaying that into what we do from a, from a strategy perspective. Then we also have email and SMS as a single service on the growth side. Um, if you're, you know, if you're doing under, I'd say 30 to 50,000 a month in, in revenue, it's sometimes very difficult to rationalize bringing on a team to manage all of that if you don't have outside capital or funding that you're using to, to fund that that process. Um, so that would be kind of, again, there's always unicorns in situations where we do an audit and we see, you know, they're a very early stage business, but there's a lot of potential to really scale healthily. Um, there's always, you know, variations to that and unicorns, so to speak, but that kind of area and range is, is typically where we say it's it's not necessarily in the best interest of the business to bring on a team to completely manage everything um, before you kind of hit that that point in revenue um, as kind of a, a rough rough guideline I'd say. Yeah, and just on the on the on the other side too, like we we some of our clients during November were spending upwards of a hundred thousand dollars a day on ads, doing like multi seven figures in monthly revenue. So we have a 
we have a really big scope in terms of like the size of businesses we work with. Like Liam said, you yeah. go from like multi, multi eight figures in annual revenue all the way down to, um, you know, just starting out 40, 50 K a month in sales and trying to become a seven figure year business. So yeah. it, it does vary. And we're, 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 we're like the, 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 the niche of the e-commerce store doesn't really matter too much to us. But I do think that people like to work with agencies who have worked in similar niches and yeah, to Liam's point, like you said, clothing and the, the replenishables have totally been a uh, consistent one for us. Cool. That's really helpful. Um, and I, I, I am going to jump to Black Friday, but <laughs> I'd be remiss <laughs> if I didn't ask. Um, there's obviously this trend of, you know, you, I, I've seen it a ton lately. Retention is the new growth strategy or retention is the new acquisition. Take your pick. Um, when clients come to you or when you go to them uh, and you, you've identified an area where you can help. Are you starting to see that trend? Are clients starting to be more sophisticated when it comes to retention and maybe even be um, like letting acquisition fall to the wayside? Or do you still see this heavy skew toward acquisition and uh, retention is still the area that that tends to need focus? I think, I think it really just depends on the situation of the business. Like we have some clients who just have bad LTV comparatively to other clients because they sell things that don't lend themselves to being purchased again. And if they want to go out and try and improve LTV, they have to start selling SKUs with high affinity, meaning SKUs that people who are likely to buy after buying their existing SKUs or try and find SKUs that just naturally can sell with higher lifetime value. Um, but in some cases, it absolutely can be a lever for growth. And this is another example of getting like KPIs wrong and such. But one of the most common mistakes we'll see made is people, let's say a brand is doing $5 million a year in sales. A few years ago, they were doing $2 million a year in sales and they still have the exact same new customer ROAS KPI they had two or three years ago. And maybe that's okay. But if you're a brand that's amassed a, a really you know active customer base, you may be able to financially look at your business and say, okay, um, the economics of my business is telling me that I have this LTV now. I, I have years of data. It's 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 quite good. Maybe I'm willing to budge a little bit on this super strict acquisition target because to some degree, while not always too true, generally as you spend more money, your cost of acquisition go up. <laughs> that normally occurs to some degree. Um, how fast and how much depends on what you're selling, where you're selling, et cetera. But in certain cases, absolutely, brands are starting more looking at that, that, that data not to necessarily throw acquisition to the wayside, but more so to look at acquisition differently and maybe come to a conclusion that you can stomach less favorable acquisition costs. Yes. I think a good way to put it too, like to Dylan's point is you need to look at acquisition as what it really is acquisition. Like it's an acquisition vehicle. You don't want to look at it as like, oh, I'm, this is my focus to drive profit is acquisition. Like that's what retention there is there for to support acquisition. Um, and sometimes people will look at acquisition as a profit driver. While it can be for, for some businesses, for most businesses, there's not going to be a significant margin on the acquisition side. So it really needs to be looked at as the acquisition vessel and uh, retention as the profit vehicle for sure. So. Yeah. And in, in the business owner's shoes, it also just depends what your cash requirements are, what your financial requirements are as well. Like how quickly, or I guess how much time can you stomach, for example, to actually realize that LTV post acquisition? Um, that's, that's another metric that often gets overlooked because we can all sit here and say, you know, 12 month LTV looks fantastic, but you know, if you need the cash back in 60 days or 90 days, well, then that's problematic, right? Um, and that's going to dictate what you can actually, you know, how hard you can push on on the paid side. Um, so, you know, when it look when we're looking broadly at KPIs for, um, you know, most of the brands we're working with, we're looking at 30 days, 60 day, 90 day LTV, and what that increase looks like, so that we can then, you know, plan CAC accordingly, because that'll also have downstream impacts on, you know, cash management, um, you know, inventory planning, all of that stuff. Yeah, like most most commonly, if you're not making your money back on a customer on until like month six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, you either have to have a lot of cash yourself as a business, willingness to take on debt, and or willingness to take on outside capital. Um, but for a lot of the businesses, those three things are not true. Um, so, like Jacob said, really narrowing down that payback window to 30, 60, 90 days. Normally, that's a window that allows a little bit, is a little bit more manageable. Uh, because that also just directly correlates with how fast you can scale. Because one of the things that gets overlooked most commonly is like, what net margin at different amounts of month over month growth rate does a brand actually need to continue financing that growth rate? And if you're waiting three to three to four months after acquiring a customer just to make any money back, 
in that situation, you're not really having much net margin at all until maybe month seven, eight or nine or arbitrary examples, right? So it's, it's retention is hugely important. And it's, I think it's been overlooked by a lot of brands for a little bit too long now, but at the end of the day, it's it's easy to look at the data sometimes and just be like, oh, I'll, I'll recoup my investment in six, seven months. But in that process, you sometimes forget that you actually do need that cash to reinvest into growth sooner than that. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> we we like to say that you know there really is no point in acquiring a customer if you don't have a plan to get them to buy again. So you're hundred percent. You know, percent. Yeah. The only thing more important than the first purchase is the second. <laughs> and, <laughs> Like ads don't work um, so, without retention supporting it and profit supporting it. So 100%. 100%. And I think that the example that you guys just gave really clearly shows like the value in um, having an agency or, you know, an internal department that is coordinating across both of those efforts. Because without yeah. that, I can see how um, it, confliction can occur. <laughs> Um, let's move on to, to Black Friday. Um, we're recording on December 6th. So, uh, about a, a week after Cyber Monday, um, curious what you guys saw in terms of trends, what worked, what didn't, did anything surprise you? Uh, and we can go from there. I think that, um, for like, I will speak for our growth clients, like 90% plus of our growth clients had record months, record profits, et cetera. And I think if you like talk to people in the industry as a whole, that also is, is quite true. A lot of people had success this year. It seemed like going into it, a lot of people were a little bit concerned given the state of the economy, whether that's strong, not strong. And we can all speculate on that all day. We'll, <laughs> we'll see what happens in the months. But um, at least for the time being, things continue to look quite good. Um, one of the biggest things that people, I guess, don't realize on Black Friday is that like Black Friday for like, and you should look at every single business should look at their own data. Because when you look at all these like comparable stats to other, whether it's same, same company, um, sorry, same industry, different company, or just a, a large data set of companies as, as a whole, don't get me wrong, there is some value in that. But there are many brands who do not have their best ROAS of the year on Black Friday. In fact, there's some brands who have like very bad ROAS of the year on Black Friday. That's that's namely going to be like things that are less giftable. Maybe if you were selling medical supplies or like food for yourself, you're probably not going to gift. You're probably not going to buy um, medical supplies as a gift on Black Friday to then gift on uh, uh, during the holiday season. So you know, there's some, there's some, there's some, there's some uh, situations where this is not true, but for many, many brands, not only is Black Friday going to be the best return on ad spend day, but you're also going to see the least amount of regression in your return on ad spend on Black Friday. And this remained true this year. We have some, we had some clients who on Thursday, they've been scaling their Black Friday campaign for a week, maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks, depends when each brand started. And then on the Thursday, they're looking at their profits for the last X, X number of weeks. And they're just like, Let's 2x ad spend, let's 5x ad spend, let's 6x ad spend. Doing that does present some risk and don't get me wrong, but in situations like that, if you've had a successful meetup, you might be willing to take a little bit more excess risk during that Black Friday period. And for basically everyone, ROAS did not get worse. ROAS actually maintained as scale happened incredibly aggressively. And that's partially because there's more buyers of your product that day, most of the time than any other day of the year, but you also get your, an increased target market normally because people are in that gifting mindset. So your, 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 your ads, your offers now also match with other people who may be gifting for your target audience. So you're to some degree, your total addressable market on some of these paid social platforms technically increases. So overall, um, really successful on our end. I'm really happy with how it went. And I'd say, yeah, the same trend occurred this year as years prior. Black Friday is the one day of the year, one of a, one of a few days of the year where it really, really um, makes sense and is off of, often logical to just put the foot on the gas pedal and go. He's super aggressive, yeah. In terms of um, Black Friday versus Cyber Monday, uh, for, for us specifically in focus on the e-com space, do you see any, are there any... Um, Differences in terms of strategies that you recommend brands employ on the different days? Yeah, so I think it can go many ways. We're not a huge fan of turning off Black Friday ads on Cyber Monday, mostly because 
Um, you do run with some risk with Facebook. I'll use Facebook as an example because that's where most brands are still spending the bulk of their advertising dollars, or I should say meta. So we'll often run Cyber Monday ads alongside Black Friday. Um, that way, in doing that process, if the Black Friday ads continue to stay, to be the top performers, they will get the bulk of the spend. And there's a small chance sometimes that when you try live ads, they get disapproved or they get stuck in processing. These things do happen sometimes. And on those days when you're trying to push a lot of budget behind the platforms, you want to make sure that your ads are actually live. There are other workarounds to trying to get a, get it approved ahead of time, but they also have their drawbacks. So between Black Friday and Cyber Monday, one of the biggest suggestions we make to brands is basically keeping your Black Friday ads on and launching your Cyber Monday ads alongside them. And then also um, on email and SMS specifically, depending on how long your sale has been, as well as what your offer has been, it sometimes makes sense to start trying to throw in a few different offers on Cyber Monday slash Cyber Week just to keep your email list engaged. Because let's say you're running a very simple offer that's two, the two weeks leading up to Black Friday, call it 30% off. There's, all, there's only so many times you can tell people it is 30% off before your, 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 your click rates, et cetera, start to drop on email and SMS. And maybe Jacob wants to speak to this. Um, but we normally suggest keeping the same offer live on the paid acquisition side um, for um, you know more safety and how you're scaling spend. But again, it's brand to brand dependent as always. Um, but really suggest um, consistency on the ad side. And then Jacob will pass it off to you for any comments on the email and SMS side for approaching Cyber Monday. Yeah, I think it also to Dylan's point depends like how long you've been running it to begin with, right? If you start at the beginning of November and you've been running it the whole month, like that owned audience is going to get a little bit tired of seeing that same offer over and over potentially. And it depends how you're segmenting, how often you're sending. Um, but generally speaking, it is good to have some sort of mix in there where it's either new product features, new collections, highlighting fall, like it, just speaking from like a fashion apparel brand, but you know, on the consumable side, maybe you're doing bundles, maybe you're doing some sort of holiday highlights, maybe you're taking a gifting angle. Um, you're still highlighting your hero offer. It's still the same message. You're still trying to drive people back to maybe the same PDPs of the same like collections pages, et cetera. Um, but at the end of the day, you just want to make sure that that content's still engaging and that you're, you're actually, you know, spicing it up a little bit. So it's not just the same creative over and over to that same audience. Um, you're also acquiring customers along the way. So there's new subscribers that are joining through the pop-up in the funnel there. So having some sort of strategy that's adjusted, whether it be, you know, updating your recovery flows, like abandoned cart, browse abandonment, even, you know, making sure your welcome series is tailored to the offer you're running. That's something that we've seen work really well with our brands, just because, again, making sure the offer is consistent from first touch point on ads to pop-up to what they're being presented, you know, all the way across the funnel has been huge. Um, so that consistency does create a lot of trust. It does definitely improve the metrics um, when it comes to, you know, what those customers are being shown. Um, and again, also for brands that are conscious of margin, if you're stacking coupons on top of like a site-wide discount or you're getting like conflicting coupons, for example, in, in emails, like that from a technical standpoint can get kind of messy and just create a lot of confusion for CS or just for customers in general, right? And that can create friction for, for conversion. So those are some of the things we've seen work well on email and to the cyber monday point one thing is depending how you're excluding purchasers and you know what your affinity between products is maybe reintroducing some of the purchasers that were acquired in the early stages of that sale into for example the cyber monday messaging and kind of repackaging that offer as a new one and maybe taking a gifting angle or maybe trying different creative for those new customers acquired during that specific period uh, could be a good way to again get that second purchase faster than you normally would um, because you have a really, you know, strong offer that you're running to a fairly high intent, um, you know, purchaser base, one that's probably still excited about the fact that they just ordered or they just received their product. So again, trying to like leverage those, you know, timeframes and post-purchase to really drive LTV during this time of year would be, uh, would be the recommendations. And then also for brands running like loyalty programs, gift, give, get offers, you know, referral stuff. That's another great way to, to drive, you know, um, new customers through these retention funnels. I love that theme of, you know, leveraging retention for, for acquisition. I think one of the biggest um, opportunities for brands these days is you have this, you know, normally Black Friday, Cyber Monday is the biggest influx of new customers um, that a brand get, sees all, all year. 
Um, and I know you just mentioned one or two ideas, but what are some other strategies or ideas that that you would share with brands to make sure that they're putting their best foot forward and not just acquiring all these new customers, but actually retaining them? Because like we know, if you're just getting them for that one-time purchase, you're probably losing money as a brand. So super important that you keep as many of those new customers as you as you can. And I and just real quick, um, I think Shopify had a had an article maybe last year or two years ago that said like 60% like uh ACV for um sorry, not ACV, LTV for new customers acquired during Black Friday, Cyber Monday is typically down around 60% um, versus the average for, for, for their brands. So super, super important that um, that brands retain these customers. What can they do to do that? Um, I'll, I'll, answer, I'll answer this partially and then I'll hand it over to Jacob as he might have some specific email and SMS stuff. But there's one, one of the biggest ways you mentioned earlier, like focusing on the second purchase, one thing that we, we encourage brand owners to do, especially when they have a year or two of data at minimum, is actually try and set month to month, uh, like month to month CPA targets on paid acquisition. So, for example, October is normally a relatively painful month for most e-commerce brands. But if you look at October, to, to the, if you look at the 30, 60 day LTV for the October cohort for many stores, this is going to have the highest success rate at getting the second purchase out of any month. So it's like. Pro and a con to October, one of the worst acquisition months is the con. The pro is that so many people come back. So that's that's one way to kind of set yourself up well for that 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 period of BFCM itself. So we always we always recommend kind of taking a step back and trying to look at things on a slightly bigger time frame for the month of October for most brands. In terms of how we're looking at um, like getting BFCM purchasers to come back and buy in December, the honest truth is you probably, in many cases, won't be able to actually get that LTV up to what it is for some of the other months of the year, just because of the nature of the customers. But in terms of doing your best to do it, I think it actually comes down to how you specifically take that cohort of customers and market to them in December. And Jacob will probably have much more beneficial, logical things to say to me on that. Well, I think um, Dylan brings up an important point, which is also that, um, and this is something we've seen true with brands kind of year over year as well. Um, a lot of like your Q4, um, let's say revenue is also baked in what you do in Q3 and the customers you acquire in that time. So um, from a retention standpoint, the brands that we see that have kind of the most buffer or the most room to actually scale in November are those who have done the work in previous months acquiring customers to then be able to leverage that returning customer revenue yeah. to, you know, kind of push it on, on the paid yeah. side more than they, you know, would if they didn't have that, um, you know, expected revenue coming from, you know, a large email list um, or SMS list for that matter, right? So I would say in terms of strategies for these to, to retain these um, these customers, I would say that, you know, the obvious ones could be something like VIP offers, post-purchase offers, new products, um, you know, being able to test new products during a time when you have new customers um, recently acquired or acquiring new customers. Um, just again, to, you know, to test products that lend themselves that lifetime value that Dylan was, was mentioning. Um, but then also if you're running other sort of programs that are inherently like retention programs, whether it be the referral programs, whether it be, you know, loyalty programs, um, being able to kind of leverage, um, you know, those during a time when you have a lot of new customers acquired. And also, you know, um, on the points side, for example, if you are a brand that's leveraging a points program or something, when customers are out of, you know, spending money after the holidays or after a really busy weekend of online shopping, and they've accrued a lot of points, maybe leverage those points into, you know, steep discounts that they can then, you know, uh, essentially turn into actual conversions and actual products sold on your on your site. Um, so that is another way to kind of leverage uh, customers that have kind of built up that sort of store credit with you. Um, but then in terms of other offers, I would say product strategy is probably the, the biggest thing that um, you need to have figured out. Um, and that's not to say that every product launch is a certainty. It's just that testing mm -hmm. products over the long run is kind of the best way to continue seeing what actually drives lifetime value for your brand and what that, you know, ideal offers, you know, strategy looks like over, you know, multiple purchases um, versus just looking at the one. Yep. And, and also to add on to what Dylan and Jacob said, like some of the clients that perform the best um, of our, of our roster during Black Friday, Cyber Monday, like Dylan, Dylan alluded to, <clears throat> were the ones that were fairly aggressive leading up to that period of time. 
Um, and obviously going back to, again, how we focus on, on, on synchronicity between acquisition and retention and, and outlining that journey, outlining how they relate to each other, being able to showcase to clients um, why being aggressive beforehand prior to Black Friday, Cyber Monday, prior to November is going to be so beneficial for them to spend even more and reap more rewards out of Black Friday, Cyber Monday um, is something that we focus heavily on. And again, like I said, the ones that, that had the most success during this period of time um, were oftentimes the ones that were, were most aggressive leading up to it as well. So um, it all ties all ties together. And, and that's the benefit um, of being able to be aggressive beforehand as well. Yeah, like one interesting thing that we've seen too, and this isn't necessarily true for every single brand, but we've seen it true for for many, um, the customer cohorts that actually are the most valuable um, when you look at them from a like month of month when they were acquired to you know how much they're worth after 90 days, for example, are typically those August, September and October cohorts. Um, so yes, to Dylan's point, you might have a more difficult time acquiring customers during the October period. Um, but then again, you do have that LTV increase that takes place when they come back to purchase during, you know, probably one of your best um, offer seasons and during kind of like this cultural buying moment. So again, acquiring those customers kind of early does definitely pay in dividends later. And you kind of have to look at customer acquisition as an investment into the future as well, assuming that you do have a roadmap to LTV, of course, and those strategies are, you know, kind of baked in. Awesome. I'm curious. Uh, well, we're, we're recording a few other podcasts uh, this week. Actually, we have another one today. Um, back this, to back. Week, this week and next. Um, so I'm curious if that theme of like actually leveraging Black Friday, Cyber Monday uh, for, you know, repeat purchases as well is something that comes through. Um, but I have a feeling that it won't as much just because of your dedicated focus to both acquisition and retention and how they sort of play off one another. Um, before we move on to the to the last thing here, uh, Mariah, any questions or, or Aplo team, anything that we didn't get to that you wanted to talk about? I think we covered covered some good stuff so far. Yeah, this has been great. Like super interesting. I love that you posed the question now about like Cyber Monday versus Black Friday, Cyber Monday, because I think it's really easy. Obviously, we group them together a lot. Um, and then also the point about like the most valuable customers coming back is super interesting. So yeah, yeah there, there's yeah. so much value in looking at like a, a yearly cycle and looking at what cohorts of customers are most valuable to you and then spending against that to acquire customers during that period of time the following year. Um, there's tremendous value in that. And, and that's something that a lot of brands, I think, um, often overlook because they don't necessarily look at the historical data in context to what's what's upcoming and then plan accordingly based off that. So um, yeah, definitely very important to, to focus on that. Awesome. Um, okay, real quick, we always like to wrap up with one thing that's helped our guests throughout their career and sort of help them get to where they are today. I think what's really interesting about you guys is we haven't had three co-founders on before. So um, take it wherever you want, but I'm curious if there's any advice you have for like working uh, working well as a, as a unit, as, as three co-founders, but uh, not to pigeonhole you. <laughs> so feel free to- <laughs> um, I, I guess generally speaking, like us three operating together, I think we all have three, we have different strong suits and we play to that. Um, and we have kind of clear um, responsibilities when it comes to what we focus on. Um, so from a, like a very simplistic view, that's one thing that I think has helped us operate well together. Um, and obviously, um, has just helped us succeed well so far in, in, in what we're doing and provide good value to the clients that we're servicing as well. Um, in terms of kind of recommendations for, for e-commerce merchants as well. And we kind of talked about this beforehand and Dylan has a good, good point to, to jump into there. Um, but it's definitely more so on the, the financial side of, of operating and running the e-commerce business. I think that's something that again, is often neglected um, and not there's not as much focus put on, on that piece as there should be. Um, so Dylan can, can probably touch on that and, and that'll probably be a good, good little uh, bow to tie up the, the conversation, I think. Yeah, I'd say one of the biggest, for most of the, for most of the clients we've worked with who have had like outsized returns on their eventual business outcome they're optimizing for, mainly meaning growth, um, they they learn very quickly that they have to execute really well on understanding like basic economics of their business. If you're if you're going to go and try and do fifty million dollars in sales one year and you have to buy the inventory for that, like how you actually plan that while you're also spending millions and millions of dollars on ads 
is it gets relatively complicated and it, it only gets more complicated as you get bigger and bigger. Like how good are you at forecasting? Because if you buy too much of, an, of a certain SKU or a certain collection and you just have all your liquidity tied up in inventory that doesn't want to move, how do you actually deal with that? So having strategies to actually move inventory that doesn't frequently move, whether that's doing a warehouse float sale, a lot of our clients do that whenever they overbuy certain categories understanding at different growth rates, what net margin you need to actually sustain that growth. And then whenever you realize that you're growing so fast, like even if you're growing with like, let's say 15% net margins and you're growing at like a crazy percentage rate month over month, quarter over quarter, year over year, that may not be enough. So it's like, well, we could grow slower. We could try and be more profitable or maybe the path of least resistance is just going back and negotiating payment terms with our suppliers. Like there's so many ways you can try and improve things if you start to get creative, but it's about knowing when and what things to actually focus on. So our, I'd say yeah, our biggest, our biggest recommendation to merchants or, or other agencies working with merchants is make sure you really know your numbers because that's one of the things that will allow you to actually scale the fastest and not run into the bottlenecks, be it with inventory, be it with cash on hand to finance inventory, ad spend, et cetera. Yeah. And, and one, um, one other thing I'll add and, and make it make it very clear as well. Like the reason that um, we've had great success with, with the clients that we've serviced this year and throughout Black Friday, Cyber Monday is, is largely is, is mainly due to our team. Like we have an incredible team um, that understands the affinity and the relationship between acquisition and retention understands the proper way to position copy and products from a design and copywriting standpoint when creating the material that we that we output. So um, it really goes back to that as well. Um, like we, we all have a very good understanding of, of what needs to be done to scale brands within the e-commerce space. And again, the correlation between all the channels that we manage. So that's a huge, a huge, huge factor, the main factor. Jacob, anything to add? Like Liam said, I think honestly, the biggest wind in our backs has been the team, frankly. Um, I think we do what we can on the team to kind of assist and help and make sure that everyone kind of has the, um, you know, the tools they need to, to do the best um, job possible for the clients. But at the end of the day, the team's been amazing. So can't speak more highly of the work, you know, being done. It's, you know, 27 people now, which is crazy to kind of say. It's, it's definitely been a lot of growth, um, just even personally speaking. So I think that's uh, speaking for all three of us, the team has definitely been the biggest wind in our sales here. Yeah, and it, it certainly shows in the results. Um, encourage the listeners to check out the Aplo Group website and check out some of the awesome case studies there. It's, get, it's getting revamped right now in about a month <laughs> or so, so it's gonna look a lot better in a month. We, we, won't, we won't shy away from saying there's work to be done on the website, um, but yeah, thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, guys. It was it was really cool having you on just after the the holiday, and uh, I know that it'll be really valuable for our listeners. So we appreciate it. Yeah. No. Thank you. No. Thank you, Mariah, for for having us on. It's been been great. Yeah. Thank you, guys.